Right. Who wants to become a contagious Christian? Who wants to be contagious? I don't think we think of contagious as a good word, do we? I think we think being contagious is something really bad and we should um, hide ourselves away if we're contagious. (laughs) And um, so I just want to, to think about that word for a few minutes, a few seconds really. Contagious, catching. If people meet with us, what do we want them to catch from us? We don't want them to catch flu, but we do want them to catch Jesus in some way. We do want them to catch love. We do want them to catch some fragrance of God around us, don't we? And that's what we're looking at today. So to start off, I would like you to uh, talk to somebody else. Um, You've all got helpful labels on, so if you don't know the person you're sitting next to, this is an opportunity to get to know them. And you might like to just answer this question. Why should I share my faith? Why should we share our faith? Why is that important? One, two, three, go. Okay, you've all got a lot to say to each other. So has anyone got, let's have three good answers. Why should we share our faith? Anyone got a really good answer? Go on, Annie. When you know what God can do, you want, to, you want to pass that on. Okay, when you know what God can do, you want to pass that on. Exactly. Oh, this gets me running again. It is very good for me. Um, yeah. Um, I think it's the joy that the, the um, love of God brings, the okay. spirit, and it, it's um, strengthening. So I think that's very important. So there's joy. The joy that the love of God brings sort of flows out of you, doesn't it, and strengthens you. Yeah, gives you strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. One more. One more really good answer. Ooh. Let's have one down here. We're doing the back today because the back sometimes gets ignored. Are you okay? I wasn't actually putting my hand up, but since I have, it's like being in an auction and I've just bought something. But I have bought something because um, being with friends and I'm just spotting, I'm I'm a new girl on the block, but not. But sharing is a love. And I think that the Christianity, the Ten Commandments, Commandments, is a good set of rules, 10 good things to live by, loving and caring. And if we can share that through thick and thin, from celebration to bereavement or anything that we, we want help with, then God is there for us. Well done, Ali. Thank, Thank you, you very much. I didn't mean to land on you. <laughs> okay, so three very good reasons. Actually... See whether my three reasons link in with your three reasons, all right? So, uh, because I'm going to have three reasons as well. Okay. So, um, this morning, we're going to look at three other reasons. There are, this is not an exhaustive 
um, sermon because there are lots of things we could say. Put that down there, I think. And we're going to look at three reasons why it's good to share our faith. And um, the first reason is something that the book that we're looking at, um, uh, which we'll be studying on Wednesday, calls the stockpile factor. Does that mean anything to you? The stockpile factor. I feel I should say it with an American accent. And um, to look at this, we're going to look at a rather obscure incident in the Old Testament. This was a passage that was new to me which is recounted in 2 Kings chapters 6 and 7, but we're really just going to look at chapter 7. So if you want to find this rather obscure passage, it's on page 374 of the Bibles that are on either side. Um, Andrew's going to come and read it to us, but I think I just need to set the scene, Andrew, a little bit before you start. No, it's not going to be very long. so. (laughs) So here's what's happening before we get to the bit that Andrew's going to read. The king of the Aramaeans, who I think are the ancestors of the Syrians, uh, is besieging the city of Samaria. And because of the siege, there is mass starvation in the city. And actually, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking we've seen this in Syria, haven't we, Um, in recent Years, but in fact, this is the Syrians doing it to the people of Israel. And there's mass starvation in the city of Samaria. They are resorting to eating donkeys' heads, which were forbidden by law, seed pods, and even resorting to cannibalism. It was that bad. And the people are blaming the king for the situation. And the king is blaming God and Elisha, his prophet. And Elisha prophesies that by this time tomorrow, the famine will be lifted. But his prophecy is treated with scorn. And then we get the bit that Andrew's going to come and read. This is chapter 7, starting at verse 3. Which you can find on page 374. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stand here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. And if they spare us, we live. And if they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there, for the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents, and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and ate and drank. Then they took silver and gold and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. 
Then they said to each other, What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, the punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, We went into the Aramean camp and no one was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, was that a new story to you as well, or just to me? Yeah. Um, the story does get a little bit more complicated after that, but because of the lepers' action, the city was saved. Now, what do you think this story in the Old Testament has to say to us about sharing our faith? Well, what is it that made the lepers want to share what they had found. It was the abundance of what they had found that changed their thinking. When they crept into the enemy camp that night and found it deserted, they were at first astonished. And then because they were starving, they rushed to gorge themselves on all the food that had been left lying around. That's Quite a natural thing to do, I'm sure. And then they saw the silver and the gold and the rich clothes and they grabbed as much as they could carry and rushed off and hid it for themselves. Again, that seems very natural. And then they went back again and realised that there was so much food and so much other stuff that was left. And then they thought of the people in the city who were starving some of whom were no doubt their friends and their relatives, and they came to their senses. And the key verse, I think, is verse 9, where it says this, They said to each other, We are not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. It was the abundance of what, they, of what they found that changed their thinking. The provision was so large, there was so much food and other stuff there, the miracle was so exciting, the deliverance was so miraculous, the news was so wonderful, and those people are starving over there. We just have to tell them. We can't keep it to them ourselves, they said. To keep silent at this point would be a crime. So I wonder, do you see the parallel with us? We are living in a world that is starving for God. Sometimes it seems that people are a bit like scavengers. They are looking everywhere for something. They're going from bar to bar, from gadget to gadget, from relationship to relationship, from fad to fad. They are trying to find something that will nourish them and sustain them and feed them. 
And as Christian believers and as a church, we are sitting on a spiritual stockpile. All the abundance of God is ours. We have been loved and chosen. We have been forgiven and made new. We have been filled with God's spirit. We are living in his goodness. We are never alone in this life and never alone at death. We are heading for an eternity with a God who loves us beyond measure. And are we going to hide all that away for ourselves? There is plenty for all, God says. Are you going to share it? I was interested in a couple of your replies earlier on because I think you're right. The more we realise the riches we have in Christ, the more we can't stop ourselves from overflowing with them into other people's lives. So I think one of the most effective ways of developing this contagious faith that we want is to stay mindful of all that we have in Christ, of all of our spiritual inheritance. The more we stay aware of God in our life and thank God for all he gives us, the more it will spill out of us into the lives of others around us. The more you dwell on the wonder of your saviour who gave himself for you, the more he will begin to come quite naturally into your conversation and form your thinking and your actions. And I guess that if we are living in God, perhaps in a way that we aren't quite yet, we will look different. Don't you think that those men, in spite of the fact that they had leprosy, would have looked different as they rushed back to the city to share the good news. So, lesson one for us today. Realise afresh all that God has given us. One of Satan's tricks is to make us think that we are spiritual paupers when in fact we are spiritual princes and princesses. I was amused to see that some of the children were wearing princess dresses this morning. We are always spiritual princes and princesses. Worship God regularly and let him expand our understanding. List his blessings to you and thank him every day. And I brought two things that have helped me in that here, which may be of help to you. One is a book called 1,000 Gifts, which is about um, thanking God every day, counting your blessings, really, in the old-fashioned way. And um, I read this during a very difficult year at work, and it changed my attitude to work. And this one is called Praying the Names of Jesus. We sang that wonderful song about the powerful name of Jesus. This goes through praying the names of Jesus. And that really expands your understanding of the God that we serve. So if those are helpful to you, come and see me afterwards. 
So go over your stockpile, rejoice in what God has done, and when you realize all that, when you are filled with wonder, you will want all those you love, all those you know, to enjoy these riches too. And it will spill out of you. Okay, our second motivation that I have here is a little bit harder because it's something we avoid thinking about. And it's this. What happens to all those who don't say yes to all that Jesus is offering them? And the reality is that the choices we make in this life are confirmed by God in eternity. And hell, that is eternal life without God, in whatever form that takes, is real and something Jesus spoke of often. Now, I'm not going to say much about this because Jesus, because Jesus, oh, that was a Freudian slip, because Tim (laughs) preached very well on it a few weeks ago. And if you want to hear uh, what Tim said, it's online and you can hear that. It was a very um, balanced and thoughtful uh, look at this whole whole thing about what happens to people who do not respond to our invitation and what happens to them if they don't respond to God's invitation more importantly though the thought of so many having eternity without God that is life without Christ should be a big motivating factor for us we should share that longing that God has for them Now, this is one that I struggle with a bit. And I think one of the difficulties that I have is that when I look at the non-Christians, or perhaps I should say the not-yet-Christians around me, my neighbours, my friends, my family, my work colleagues, it looks as if they're doing pretty well to me. Actually, they do not look like starving people. They might not have Christ but it doesn't seem to screw them up much. Mostly live okay lives. Often they seem to enjoy themselves more than I do. In Psalm 73, the author has those same feelings. He looks around at all those who live without God and he is envious of them because they seem wealthy and they seem carefree and although they ignore God's laws, it all seems to go right for them and they come out on top. Why do I bother trying to live God's way, he says. And then in the psalm, he goes to the sanctuary of God and God opens his eyes to see these people as he sees them. And he sees that that outside view of their lives is deceptive. They are, in fact, on a slippery slope to ruin. And we need to start seeing the people around us as God sees them. Are they really rich and satisfied because they have great holidays, nice houses, new cars, seemingly perfect families? In the uh, nine o'clock service today, we were looking at Jesus' story of the lost sheep. That story where the shepherd leaves the 99 
and goes out after that one sheep that was lost. That's how Jesus sees these people. These people are lost, he says. They are lost and vulnerable and in danger. Jesus thought we were all so lost that he was prepared to give up everything to come and rescue us. So we need to see people as Jesus saw the people he encountered all the time he saw beyond that outer shell that they presented to the world. Listen to this encounter between a man and Jesus. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he said, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He could see all that this man could become if only he would follow him. What potential he had. He could also see that the worldly riches were holding him back. Temporary riches or eternal riches. This young man, at least at that time, chose to go away and refuse Jesus' invitation. And I think for that moment, in that moment, that broke Jesus' heart. So often, Jesus cried over those who rejected him and his message. And listen to this. By contrast, I want you to imagine the crucifixion scene. Three crosses, three men dying in agony, and one of them is Jesus. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. And then he turned and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. One on either side of him. One insults him and rejects him. One turns to him and shows faith in him. Even then, even at that moment, Jesus is looking beyond the obvious and looking into the heart of other people. And to his dying breath, Jesus wants to share the good news. 
So we need to get that Jesus mindset and see people with Jesus' eyes and Jesus' love. And we need to see, and this is quite a hard thing, I think, that those around us who don't yet follow Jesus have a life-limiting condition. That is the reality that we need to grasp. Their life is limited now as they cannot become all that they could be if they knew Christ. Their life that maybe seems so successful in worldly terms is in fact stunted, one-dimensional, and will probably be ultimately unsatisfying. Their life is also limited because they're missing out on a whole dimension of existence. The relationship with their father and their saviour, the relationship that God created them for. And their life is also limited because it will end with death. They will miss out on all that God promises for us in eternity, being with him, that ultimate healing, that bodily resurrection, that place in his new kingdom. So we've looked at two motivations for being a contagious Christian. Those riches that we can't keep to ourselves and that longing for others to know God now and be safe with him in eternity. Our third motivator has to do with privilege. Jesus' parting words to us And this is a promise for his disciples and for us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples are to be his witnesses in their generation. And you notice that is a promise. You will be my witnesses. You will. And we are called to be his witnesses in our generation. And that is an enormous privilege to be his witnesses, his ambassadors, his his agents in the world. Isn't it amazing that he chooses people like us, ordinary people like us, to speak for him? And to spread his good news, he, almighty God, chooses us to partner in this work. And God doesn't really have um, a plan B, as far as we know. Um, I'm plan A and you're plan A. And because of your uniqueness and your personality and your gifts and your talents and your abilities and your particular areas of responsibility and your experience... You are called to be God's spokesman or God's spokeswoman to a unique set of lost people who matter to him. And that is a really challenging thought. One day, each one of us will stand before the Lord to talk about how we have used all that God has given to us. And I'm sure you're like me, what I want him to say to me is something like this. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
you know, I carved out a group of people who desperately needed you. They needed your life. They needed your personality. They needed your witness. They needed your gentleness. They needed your sense of humor. They needed your experience. They needed your practical help. They needed you. They needed you to tell them about me. I needed you for this, and I filled you with my Holy Spirit, and I sent you, and you were faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. So here's a question for each one of us for tomorrow morning, or perhaps even for later today. How is God going to use me to be his agent, his spokesperson today? Who can I show love to? Who can I serve? Who can I listen to? Who can I speak to? And I think we need to pray, don't we, that God give us your spirit to open my eyes to those opportunities And give me your words to say. Amen. Okay, three motivators that we've looked at. The rich and the starving. We want to share all the riches that God has given us because our cup is overflowing and others are starving. We need to develop a shepherd heart. We should long to see people and their potential as Jesus sees them. We don't want those around us to miss out on the future that God has planned for them. And we are to be partners with God. Almighty God asks us to be his agents and work hand in hand with him. And what a privilege that is. So we believe that God is always at work. And I think we've heard today of some instances of God being at work already in this. We believe that God is always drawing people to himself and that we just need to partner with him. And to get a feel of this, we want to encourage people to share their own stories. So I've asked Joe, and I'm looking for the mic. Joe has offered to come and tell us a little bit about her. Morning. Um, story of faith and just see if some of the the themes that we've been talking about come up in Joe's story or not. Okay Joe, what brought you to St Paul's for the first time? Actually I was living in Camberley. I had a very nice house with my very nice boyfriend and I was very far from God but he asked me to marry him and (laughs) Um, I actually said very early on, I don't know we should get married in a church because I think it would be hypocritical to get married in a church when neither of us are Christians. And his response to that was, don't be so ridiculous. You're such a drama queen. You'll want the big white dress and the whole shebang. Let's find a nice church. And that's what brought me to St. Paul's. And it was really, really, honestly, that's what brought me here. Um, And what was wonderful is that when I came here, I was welcomed. And we were invited to join the marriage preparation class, which at the time was run by Jill and John Davies, who I'll be eternally grateful to. Um, And we had some group sessions. We had some kind of just the 
the four of us chatting, and I remember one night. Is Jill here? Is she here? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if you remember this, Jill. Um, I was saying I really, really want to understand the vows that we're taking, and I can really get my head around what I'm saying to Tim. But it's it's just that whole thing about. I don't want to say it in the sight of God because he'll be listening and if I don't really mean it. And you just said, so who is it you think is going to be listening? And if you really think someone is listening, maybe you should explore that. And I came along, to started coming to church purely at the start to hear our bands being read. And then I was invited on an Alpha course. And at that Alpha course... John Cooper, you know, and John Barker and some amazing Christian um, people got alongside me. I was quickly invited along to a house group. A lot of this happened actually after we were married. Um, and that's when I met Jesus. Okay, so what was it who really, what, that really impressed you about the people you met? Well, they just weren't judging us. They weren't no. judging me. They weren't judging Tim, who's still not yet a Christian. Mm. And that's 23 years ago. <laughs> um, and, um, and they were just very warm and real people. I don't know what I thought Christians were like, but I don't know. But they were just real people who genuinely had a heart for us. Yeah. Do you want me to tell you about my friend as well? That, yes, that was... yeah, yeah, okay. So this is really what moved you from going, uh, just liking the people and liking the place to actually meeting with Jesus, really. Yeah. Okay, so I did what... Jesus tells us not to do, which is to um, ask God if you're out there, show me a sign. Um, and I know now that that's not what we ask, but that's what I was doing at the time. And a few days before our wedding, very literally a few days before our wedding, something that was like the most direct shot to the heart for me happened. And I received a letter from a friend um, who I'd been at school with. She was a family friend and she'd bullied me very, very badly to the point that I actually moved schools because of it. And it was something I'd never understood because she was a friend who stopped being a friend. And just three days before my wedding, I got a letter from her. I hadn't seen her for years, and she said, I've got your number from through your mum and your address through your mum. She said, I don't know if you know this, and I'm writing this letter in deep faith because over the past few years I've become a Christian. And she said, you may not understand what I'm about to say, but I was in the shower the other day <laughs> asking God on a journey of forgiveness, and he said, you're never going to truly forgive yourself until you truly forgive Joanne, until you ask for forgiveness from Joanne for how you treated her. And I'm telling you, you need to write her a letter and say that God has asked, her, asked you to send her this sign that he's hearing her prayers. And I received that letter, and to me it was just, it tied together so many missing links and filled that God-shaped hole that I've been looking for. And it was my friend who really stepped out, not knowing how that would be received. She could have just written me a letter saying, I'm really sorry. But she specifically put into that letter, God has asked me to say this to you. And she did. <laughs> okay, we're just going to pray for Joe, and then uh, go on with the service. Lord, we do thank you for Joe and thank you for those people that you brought into her life. And thank you so much that um, she is here with us. Thank you for all the joy she gives us, especially with her wonderful voice. And Lord, we, we do want to thank you for all those people who were brave enough to share their faith with Joe.
and we ask your blessing upon her. Amen. Thank you. Okay, so we've got one more essential thing to do. Uh, the band are going to make their way up now, uh, ready to uh, lead us in a song, a song that really reminds